BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Caroline Stanbury, and I am Divorced Not Dead. Fresh off the back of my divorce, I'm bringing real stories, real life, real talk on all things that aren't said. Why do we put so much pressure on ourselves for the happily ever after? Does our love story really have to be one great lengthy novel, or can we be happy with a book of short but exciting love stories? I guess we'll find out on Divorce Not Dead, and lucky me, you'll be joining me for the journey, so buckle up. This is Amanda Hirsch from the Not Skinny But Not Fat podcast. You might know me from Not Skinny But Not Fat on Instagram, where I spend my time talking about reality TV, celebrities, everything happening, and pop culture. I also talk to some of our favorite celebs and reality TV stars. We talk about what's going on. Tune in every Tuesday and just feel like you're talking with your best friends in your living room. Here we are today. Julia Hart is on the pod. I'm so excited. Thank you so much. I've for wanted you to come on for a while, and then some things happened. Yes, a few, a few little, a few, a few, a light, few little bumps, a few little tiny bumps, bumps in the road. <laughs> but from the beginning, I was like, I want to talk to her. Like, what an interesting woman you are, and what an interesting Thank story. Thank you. And people have questions. Good. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's- like you, you're an enigma a little bit. <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it. I'll take it. So let's start from the very beginning. First of all, if you guys haven't watched My Unorthodox Life on Netflix, do you, do you speak Hebrew Better. or do you speak like just the things you I learned in the Hebrew. Torah? I speak I, I used to teach in Hebrew. You used to teach in Hebrew. Mm. Damn. Mm. We'll get to that. Okay. So we first met you on My Unorthodox Life on Netflix, which I loved it right away. I'm Jewish. So for me, it's like, oh, getting a look into a Jewish family's life right. in New York City. Yours is unorthodox. It certainly is. Indeed. It's unorthodox. <laughs> How did that even happen? Which, the show. Which part of the, the show? show? Basically, I didn't have an agent. I didn't have any representation. I found a producer and we went to Netflix and we said, here's our story. Would you like to make a show out of it? And they did. <laughs> so it was your it, idea. Yeah. You were like, I have a crazy family. I have a crazy story. Well, actually, the funny thing is it actually came, funnily enough, through EWG because my at that point at that time husband had wanted a show about the, the company and i had started off by starting to sell that and then everyone just got fascinated with my story and so it just morphed into 
oh. in my life. Oh, yeah. Like they didn't care as much about here's this modeling right. agency. They cared more about my story and what oh. I'd been through. So it kind of morphed into this kind of mix between a docu series and an ocu series because a large part of it is what I do at work, right? It's a big yeah. piece of it is what I'm doing and what I do is work all day. So that's a big chunk of it. But then you also got to see the backstory. What I always say is the show is my present defined by my past. Was everyone, because the way reality TV works, like everyone has to be down for it, right? Everyone yeah. in your household. Yeah. So when you brought it to your kids. They were ecstatic. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't know how they would take it, honestly, but they were so gung-ho. They really wanted to do it. And I thought Aaron, my youngest, would be totally not interested. I didn't even put his name in. But he called me and he's like, how come I'm not in it? I was like, oh, I, I just didn't want oh, to. Oh, Aaron was yeah. into it? That is yeah. surprising. I was so surprised. So when he said he wanted to do it, I said, okay, then you do and it. And Robert, obviously. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was, I could imagine him being down. Yeah, yeah And And Bot was already kind of doing She's it. She's already the, an influencer. Yeah. And, you know, none of us are shy in my house. So, yeah. We, and we all had a reason and a purpose for doing it. We understood that our story, or we hoped, that our story could help inspire others, make others realize that it doesn't matter if you're 40 or 50 or if you don't have an education or if life has knocked you sideways, it's never too late to change. And so that was the reason we told our story. And I think everyone got on board with that for that reason. How long at that point were you out of Muncie? When I filmed? Yeah. We filmed in 2020, so three years ago. So I was out of Muncie at the time a smidge around seven years okay so it wasn't not new. very long it, right but it wasn't super new it wasn't, no, it wasn't like, like, like six just, months ago yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. and you just got out no so let's talk about how that happened because you were born actually in russia well the so like the Soviet moscow in moscow yeah. and you you came to the united states to texas yep and grew up in a jewish community yep but not a you know my parents my parents are what's called refuseniks. My father was arrested for practicing Judaism. And he was, my family and I were traded for grain on the Jackson-Bannock bill. Basically, it's very similar to, what is it called, the Magnitsky bill or something like that, that they have now where it's sanctions against Russia for civil rights violations. So the Jackson-Bannock bill was exactly the same. It was sanctions against Russia, grain embargo against Russia for all their civil violations against Jews. And so basically they traded Jews for grain. And so my family and I were traded for grain. That's how we came to this country. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wait, so who got the grain? Russia. Russia got the grain. America got us. That's how it worked. Jews for I grain. I hope it was a lot of grain. <laughs> <laughs> like loads of grain. That is wild. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so you came to the U.S. and then your family got a little bit more Became Jewish? more and more religious. You know, they had been practicing what they knew about Judaism back then when, because they were such avid and uh, anti-Semites. So my parents were what they knew to be religious in Russia, but it was very, very modern Orthodox, as you can imagine. Then they come to Texas and they meet a Hasidic sect of Jews called Lubavitch. Mm. And Lubavitch, they kind of, not convert them because my parents were obviously Jewish, but they proselytize them back into being religious. And then we moved to Rockland County and that's when it comes really crazy and we go all the way. You know, my parents don't eat strawberries because there may be hidden microscopic bugs in there. They won't eat broccoli. They don't eat artichokes. I mean, the rules just never end. You know, it's really extreme. Do you remember questioning all that at a young age too? No. I, at a young age, I was told this is what God wants. And I was like, oh, okay. And that was it. 
Yeah. This is what God wants. Who am I to argue with God? So you don't remember having like any... No, I remember not having it. Not having. I, mean, I didn't, it didn't occur to me to question. It really didn't. This is what my parents told me God yeah. wanted. And who doesn't want to please God? I wanted to please God. Yeah. And this is what God wanted. So it's what I did. And how many siblings do you have? Seven. So you're eight total? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. And I'm the eldest. You're the oldest. And then there's 10 years of no babies in between. And then seven more siblings. So my sister after me is 10 years younger than I am. And my youngest brother is younger than my eldest daughter. So my brother Shlomo, I have a son Shlomo, yeah. but I also have a brother Shlomo. My brother Shlomo is 29. My daughter is 30. Go figure that one mind out. Mindfuck. Yeah, and, exactly. And you, you were- want to get real? You want to hear a real yeah. mindfuck? Yeah. I nursed my brother. My mother was like, oh, you're already nursing your daughter. Take this one too. And so I ended up nursing my brother and my daughter. Yeah, now that's a mindfuck. <laughs> For him, I'm sure. No, for He's him, taking I don't that think he to remembers. therapy. I mean, does he know now? I'm sure he does not. Wait, but do do religious Jews do that? Nurse? No, no. Like let other people nurse well, their babies. Have, of course, like you have, you know, go back a couple hundred years. Everyone had a wet nurse, right? You didn't nurse your own baby if you had money. Okay, a hundred years, but we're not well, talking a hundred well, years. We are. That's oh, we the are. Community I lived in. I lived in the 1800s. I always tell people I'm a time traveler. If you want to understand the world I lived in. Go back to the 1800s. That's it. I lived in 18th century existence. So when did you start questioning it? Well, you know, I've been questioning it my entire life silently inside. But they had convinced me that I was somehow inherently flawed for not being okay with the system. Mm. Like, all the other women, Julie, are fine to be silent. All the other women are okay to sit and eat in the kitchen. All the other women are okay to do this. All the other women... And so it was, what's wrong with you that you're not okay with this system? And then when my daughter, Miriam, the one who just graduated Stanford, she's 23 years old right now. She's a genius. She is a genius. And when she started questioning things, no one could convince me that she was somehow flawed because she was five, you know, and they had convinced me that something was wrong with me for questioning. But when she started questioning it, that's when I realized it's not me. It's the system. And the system is not okay. So Miriam is kind of the one that brought... Miriam is the beginning and end of my exodus really? story. One, I would not be alive today if not for Miriam. 100%. I am such a bar girl, you guys. Like, I always have a bar in my bag, in my purse, because I'm always hungry and I always need something on the go. And what's easier to bring with you than a bar? And, like, there used to be only, like, bad bars, like bars that were bad for you. They were full of sugar and carbs and bad ingredients. But thanks to the Lord. Now there's Go Macro. Go Macro is amazing. It's organic. It's vegan. It's gluten-free. It's kosher. It's non-GMO. It is clean and it's soy-free too. They're made from a combination of plant-based ingredients and they're just healthy and delicious and they keep you energized. They have three delicious nut-free flavors oatmeal chocolate chip, maple sea salt, and sunflower butter, plus chocolate and 10 certified FODMAP-friendly flavors. So this is like, this is for everyone, you guys. This is for everyone. So I'm so excited to share this with you. So excited that they are supporting my show because I love them. Um, They also have Go Macro minis for your kids if you want, which is amazing. So you guys, there is a new flavor right now. It is mint chocolate chip. It's available in mini, 
So get your hands on this delicious new flavor by going to gomacro.com and using promo code NOTSKINNY for 30% off plus free shipping on all orders over 50. Gomacro.com, promo code is NOTSKINNY. I have been getting so many compliments on my hair. People are like, when did your hair get this long? And I knew it was for real because sometimes you guys just compliment me to be nice. When the superintendent in my building was like, your hair got long. I was like, hello, a man is noticing this and like, what? So this is for real. And I was like, oh my God, Nutrafol seriously works. So Nutrafol has hair supplements. I'm sure you heard about them because I did. And I feel like I heard about them first through different um, influencers that I follow that were using it and talking about it. And I even like slid into their DMs being like, you guys, but does it really work? And each and every one of them told me, yes, Amanda, saved my hair, made it so much thicker. You got me. You got me. So if you're one of those people, if your hair is thinning, Nutrafol is here to help. If you know you got some shedding, shedding is such a weird word. I feel like a dog after giving birth. Nutrafol is here to help. It's the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement, you guys. So take the first step to visibly thicker hair and healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering my listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code NOTSKINNY. Find out why over 4,000 healthcare professionals recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com. It's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com. The promo code is not skinny. That's Nutrafol.com. The promo code is not skinny. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So let's go back though. So your ex-husband, the first one, Yosef, who seems like a Lovely cutie. Person. No, no, he's such a nice. You want to hear the saddest thing? The guy that I was forced to marry is a much nicer person than the man I chose. <laughs> go figure that one out. Wait, so that was a she do. Great job, Julia Hart. What? So you're you and Yossi were a she do. A shidduch, yeah. Which for people that don't know, it's like you're set up. That's right. By a rabbi or by I was a matchmaker, a shadchan. How old were you when they said nineteen? You up? And he was. 26. Did you like him though? Like, were you like, oh, he seems nice. Mm, you know, I broke the engagement, but then my parents told me I can't. And then I ran away a couple of times and my parents told me, you know, we're going to, you know, I didn't know anyone in the outside world. I didn't know anywhere to run to. So I would just go back to my parents. And my parents just told me, well, you can't stay here. You have a husband, go back to him. Not that he did anything bad. He wasn't. He was a lovely man. And I always say, there are no villains in my story. There's only victims. He's as much a victim of the system as I was. He, it was as wrong of a marriage for him as it was for me. Like, it's not him that made the marriage terrible. It's that we shouldn't have been married in the first place. And the roles we were given in the marriage, I was supposed to be obedient, subservient, silent, respectful. Your husband in my community is God on earth for you. 
Yeah. Okay. So I was supposed to treat him like my God. Did you for, for a time? Fuck no. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> That's my problem. And then he was but supposed he to be, expect, did he, he expected accept, it. He so did. there was constant friction between what I was supposed to be doing as a wife and what I just couldn't do as a human. I couldn't be subservient. I couldn't stop reading and, or educating myself. I couldn't stop arguing when someone said something that made no sense to me. I just couldn't do it. And you had four babies. Four him. babies. I, I, I was pregnant 10 times. I had ten. I could have had ten children. I just happened to have had six miscarriages. Oh wow! In between the in between the kids. Oh yeah. wow! So theoretically, I could be a mother of ten right now. Actually, eleven because Miriam was born a twin, and her were all these passed. babies. You were trying to have them. I'm sorry. You said Miriam was born a twin, and what? And then the twin passed away. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm so, so sorry. So I really could have actually had eleven children <laughs> if I didn't have seven, six miscarriages, and. So, you know, it's in that world, that's what you do. You have babies until you can't have babies anymore. And then you take care of your grandchildren and then you die. And that's it. Yeah. That's your life. The What I always found like a question that I wanted to ask you is like, how do we separate? Like we see Yosef, your ex. He seems like a little teddy bear. So kind, so nice, a good dad, all that. Yet you describe your time as like being oppressed and like, Because that was the system, not the person. Not him. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm very careful to make that distinction because he's a really lovely person. Yeah. But for example, when I first got married, he told me that I have to sleep with my hair covered. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now you try sleeping with a kerchief on your head with metal clips to keep it there so when you move, it doesn't fall off your head. I'm an insomniac altogether. Sleeping with metal clips in my head, having to be worried that if a piece of my hair comes out, I'm not going to have righteous children was too much for me. And it's not the law. It's what's called a chumrah. It's like an additional spiritual thing that you do that's not law. But if you do it, great things will happen. So, for example, you're not allowed to uncover your hair outside of your home. That's the law. Right. If you don't uncover your your hair inside the home. Oh, even better. You will be granted righteous children. Oh, so like. So it's like an add-on. It's an additive restriction. That's what it is. An additive restriction that you don't have to do, but you are strenuously suggesting to do it. So, you know, he made me sleep with this thing. And then finally, after two weeks, I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't sleep at all. I was not sleeping. And so I told him, look, I can't do it. I can't cover my hair. It's one thing outside of my house, but in my house, I need to be able to uncover my own hair. And he said, well, all the other wives do it and all my friends' wives do it. And why can't you do it? And so what I ended up doing is I said, okay, well, if the hair on my head is so objectionable to my walls, then my walls aren't going to be able to see my face either. And I walked around for a good two weeks with my kerchief over my entire head, like a giant sock. I was like, this is, you're going to be talking to a sock for the rest of your life unless you let me uncover my hair. And after two weeks, he finally gave in and let me do it. So, but that's, that's what it was like. I had no autonomy. I had no decision-making. He was my commander. If, you know, when I started watching TV, you know, at first I just watched like 50s and 60s shows like Leave it to Beaver and Daddy Knows Best, like things that are literally like, you know, they're not, they're G, or they're G plus, like they're not even PG. that's what you're allowed to kind of watch? Well, no, I wasn't allowed to watch anything, but I managed to sneak through a little, you know, whatever. Long story, you got to read the book. But anyway, point being, when I first started watching, I was watching very, very kosher television where they slept in separate beds 
and daddy was the boss. Yeah. You know, or I Love Lucy where she couldn't work and couldn't do anything and was so stupid and the man was the, the breadwinner and all that stuff. So, and I would ask, get asked permission to watch. And if there was a show that Yosef didn't want me to watch, I wasn't allowed to watch it. When I read books that I wasn't supposed to read, then argued with rabbis, I would get called to the rabbi's office and the rabbi would be, Julia, you're not supposed to be reading these books. You're not supposed to be educating yourself like this. But he wouldn't just call me and he would call in my husband and so he would say, control your woman. Mm. Just like neither of us belonged into the roles we were forced to live. Is the marriage he's in now, like, is the woman... Very different. She's modern Orthodox. She doesn't cover her hair. She went to college. So how he is went, he more... Oh, oh, he he's no more... He doesn't wear a black hat anymore. He's not a fundamentalist anymore. He took it off. He's uh, a modern Orthodox Jew Do you now. think you and, like, you and the kids influenced him? Oh, no, I don't think. Him? He told me. They called me from Puerto Rico where they got engaged. Yeah. And he's like, Julia, thank you for making my life better. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. So as I'm saying, it had nothing to do with him. Yeah. But it was the role he was forced to inhabit was yeah. my jailer. My God. You know? So he got out of it, too. That's probably yeah. better for the kids, too. It's so better they, for, everybody. for everybody. I mean, he, what about he, our own? Yeah, our own is still my fundamentalist holdout. But, you know, I have faith. I've got hope. Seeing you navigate that on the show. It's hard. Is, is, is hard, hard to watch, too, because, like. On one hand, you're taught like your kid makes a decision about themselves. You want to respect it. You want to accept your kid, whatever they do. Right. And you do that with Miriam, with everybody, but with our own. And also you're taking the responsibility on the show of telling people about, you know, this hardcore Judaism while are you like you're not trying to say Hasidic Jews are bad or being religious is bad. Like that's how why do you I always. So it's a, I'm really glad you brought that up. And that's why I'm so careful. If you've seen the show. I show is celebrating holidays. I show all so much that's beautiful about Judaism. I talk about how modern orthodoxy, they're perfectly normal parts of, you know, modern society. They go to college, they have television, so forth and so on. I'm always very, very cautious and careful to specify it to this small group of people and to point out that it has nothing to do with Judaism. It's fundamentalism. Mm-hmm. And fundamentalism is, is the same, whether it's Islam, Judaism, Mormonism, Christianity, Mennonites, you name it. When you have a fundamentalist culture, the rules for women are all the same. But what do they call themselves? You call them fundamentalists. They call what themselves do- yeshivish or Haredi or black oh, hat. Oh, okay, or, you know. okay. Yeah. But that's why I'm very careful to delineate that it is a very small sect of people. And I always say, again, there are no villains. There are just victims. They're victims of the laws. Yeah. Until the laws change, nothing will ever change there. You've got to change the laws. Wait, what, what laws can be changed? Oh, all the laws. I mean, think about I me. Mean, we don't need to change all the laws, but the laws referring to women need to change. Oh, like, and example, you mean not the laws laws, the 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 religious laws. The religious yeah. laws that these communities live by yeah. need to change. Do you see that happening? Well, a year ago, I would have told you never. However... Something happened last November, so like, I guess, what, nine months ago, 10 months ago, that really gave me tremendous hope. So I was celebrating Kathy Hochul's victory the day that she, it was announced that she was governor. And there was a group of Hasidim there also, you know, supporting and representing the Hasidic community. And they saw me and I was like, oh, no, here we go. And I see them coming towards me. I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to yell at me and tell me what a monster I am. 
and blah, 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 blah. And how could I tell people what's going on in the community? Da, 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 da. And I'm like stealing myself for the attack. And as they're walking towards me, I recognize the, the, like the main guy. He's probably one of the most famous people in my world. He comes with an entourage, with a posse. Like it's, he's a big, big person in my community. And he walks over to me and I'm literally like, my hands are like fists. Like I'm just stealing myself for the attack. And he looks down, a very tall guy. And he says, Ms. Hart, my wife and my daughters, thank you. And walked away. Whoa. Yeah. So I came home and I, I probably cried that entire night. And I just said to myself, change is possible. Mm. Change is possible. Just got to be so loud and so persistent and so consistent and not give up that change. Because if women, if all the women in my community would stand up and say, I'm not okay with this anymore, what could they do? They're not arresting them. They're not throwing them in jail. The pressures are all societal, yeah. right? They're all about who your child is going to marry, what school they get into. Again, like the 1800s, like think Bridgerton, right? So if all the women in that community would get up and say, no more, no more, it would stop. And that's what's got to happen. We got to change the rules. Just like we changed rules in this country, women couldn't vote. Yeah. They vote now. Women weren't allowed to wear pants here either. They wear them now. It's time for my community to let women wear pants. You said you were already with fists, like ready to fight. Is it because you got a lot of shit from people? Oh, yeah. I mean, I get attacked all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do they say to you? I shouldn't talk about what's in the community. It should be quiet and it's out. It's nobody's business and we'll solve our own problems. And, you know, just keep your mouth shut. You had to like to say, did you get more positive responses or negative responses? Like when the first season came out, for example. I mean, it's really a mix. The negative responses came openly Mm -hmm. and all the positive came through DMs and privately because the people who supported me in those communities were afraid. Like one one of my friends who supported me, her kids almost got kicked out of school because someone saw that she liked a post or something. Oh, my God. So... Being my friend is dangerous in that world. So the all the thank yous and the you've changed my life, that all comes silently and all the attacks come publicly, right? Right, because they're scared to... Well, also because they get... If you attack me, then you go to synagogue and people will pat you on the back, right? There's, Do you think they talk about you there? Oh, 100%. Oh, 100%. I am 1,000%. What, what would you think like the, the rabbis say? Look at what happens when a woman is educated. This is what happens. Julie is what happens. So when they say educated, what do they mean? Like they Educated, you- meaning an educated woman is a dangerous one. In the Gemara, in the Talmud, right, yeah. which is where the oral Torah is written, it says a man who educates his daughter is te- teaching her prostitution. Did you go to college? No. So what do you mean by educated? Educating mean not only wasn't I allowed to read secular books, yeah. I wasn't even to- allowed to read Judaic books because a woman's mind is not capable of grasping deep and esoteric subjects. You didn't know that? <laughs> So they meant that educated that you were like reading and interested I, in the world right. exactly. and stuff like that. Just that I had, and I'm not even talking about secular education. I'm talking yeah. about religious education. I had bookshelves of religious books I was not allowed to read. So how were you teaching? Because I did it anyway. I'm a stubborn one. But they allowed you to teach? Well, no. In high school, you teach. But like, for example, depending on which high school. So I taught in this high school called Beis Rachel. And Beis Rachel not only don't they learn the Talmud or the Gemara, they don't even study the Torah properly. They they study this thing called Ein Yaakov, which is like the stories. It's like basically dumbed down Bible stories. Yeah. So I taught, in depending on the school, what I was allowed to teach. And then I threw in a bunch of stuff I wasn't allowed to be teaching. 
and got in trouble all the time. All the time. I just always got in trouble. I was, I would say from the time I was 30 until I walked out the door for the last 12 years, probably of living in that world, I don't think a week went by when a rabbi didn't yell at me. <laughs> I was always in the principal's office in my 30s. Go Were figure. they ever like more than yelling? Were they no, ever, like, no, never, never, never. So I have another question because you were saying before Miriam is kind of the one that brought things up. What yeah. was she saying as a five-year-old? She, so Miriam, in addition to being incredibly brilliant, is also very active and very athletic. And we're very competitive humans. We like winning. So Miriam wanted to play soccer. Mm. Girls in my community do not play soccer. They play jump rope. Yeah. Right? Again, go backwards, yeah. back in time. Girls didn't play soccer and basketball and baseball. And so my husband told her that she's not allowed to. And when she asked why... And we're, ta- and we're talking, to, she was somewhere between three and five years old. I can't even remember exactly what year. But she was like a like a, a nugget. She was, a, you know, at the very old eldest, she was five, okay? Yeah. And he says to her, you can. She's asked why. And he said, well, you know you're not allowed to wear pants, which means you're going to have to play soccer in a skirt. You play soccer in a skirt and you kick the ball. Your skirt might lift up. A man walking by the field may see your knees and have inappropriate thoughts about you. Now, Let's not talk about what kind of man gets turned on by a five-year-old's knees. Let's just leave that alone for a minute. (laughs) But my little daughter looks at my husband and says, okay, so if I'm responsible for his sins and his actions, is he responsible for mine? Just that very simple, logical question. And that's all it took. Hearing what I'd been thinking my entire life, coming out of the mouth of a five-year-old yeah. showed me that it wasn't me, that this system is ridiculous. Why are women responsible for men's behavior? Why can't men be responsible for their own behavior? And if I'm responsible for a man's behavior, why isn't he responsible for mine? So did that propel everything? That just, that, that she gave me permission to question. So how long did it take until you started making moves? Well, no, I started making moves literally the next day. I, no, started, I started educating myself. I would walk with her and her little carriage to the Barnes and Noble in Atlanta. I would just sit all day and just read. Oh, you were living in Atlanta at the, at the time? time I was living in Atlanta. Miriam was born in Atlanta. So at the time I was living in Atlanta and I would just wheel her to Barnes and Noble and then spend the day reading and then we'd walk back and make dinner and take care of everybody. And that was it. So when did you move to New York? Well, we lived in New York most of my life. Yeah. And then we moved to Atlanta for nine years and we came back in the early 2000s. And when you came back to New York, was it Muncie and then the city when you was, left no, Muncie? It was Muncie. And Muncie. then I didn't do the city until I walked out the door. So what what courage did that take? Like the final Again, photo? Miriam. As Miriam? I said, Miriam is the beginning and end of my what, what, what would she do? So I had done all this educating. You know, I'd read th- thousands of books, thousands and thousands of books. I'd, you know, Voltaire, Descartes, Cicero, Euripides, Spinoza, you name it. I've read it. And I had made money. I've figured out a way to make some money on the side. So I had the money and I had as much education as I could possibly get without actually living in the outside world. But then I was too scared to do it. It is actually time travel. You're not, you have lived, just imagine if you're living in the 1800s and then you wake up one morning and you're in 2023. That's what it feels like. You don't know anything about the outside world. And I always tell people, they're like, oh, but you did read books and you did watch movies when you were there. Yeah, the last eight years, I read books, I watched movies, I watched television. I tried to educate myself as much as did, possible. Did you have to hide from Yosef or did no, he kind he, of... No, he, well, yes and no, it depends. But 
the main thing is that I always tell people, it's like, imagine if you read 20,000 books on deep sea diving, and then you watch 20,000 movies on deep sea diving. Does that make you a deep sea diver? Do you know how to deep sea dive? No, you got to get into the water. You've got to practice. You've got to try it. That's what it was like. Like I, I seen deep sea diving. I'd read about it, but I'd never done it. And so it felt like literally traveling in time to Mars. To come to the city. To come to, come to be part of the 21st century yeah. world. And so I, I just, I couldn't, I was too scared. I just couldn't do it. And then, so basically my plan became to commit suicide. And I thought that would be easier than leaving because leaving just seemed impossible. But then I was down, I don't even want to say how little I weighed. I was, I was probably two months away from death. Like, literally that's how I mean imagine this body minus 20 a some odd pounds no. you can't I mean I was I was you weren't eating no no I purposefully starved myself to death because my idea was if I'm going to commit suicide I have to do it in a way that no one realizes it's suicide because if I commit suicide my children will never get married right and that's all that marries matters in that world again think 1800 it's the it's the match the marriage match that's all that matters so who's going to marry my daughters if their mother committed suicide I figured if I commit suicide through starvation, people just think I have an eating disorder. And eating disorders, eh, they're not so bad. That means when your daughter-in-law has her 12th baby, she's still going to be skinny. So like eating disorders, nobody cares about. So people just thought I had an eating disorder. But meanwhile, I was purposefully starving myself to death. And I got, I was a few, literally, I probably six pounds away from, from, and That's then. like a slow, painful. Yeah, I mean, it was, but it felt it felt less frightening to die than to walk out the door, if you can imagine such a thing. Because, Were your kids like, what's up, mom? You're, no, I because I worry about been you very on the thin. show. Yeah. I've always been very thin. So like I've been this weight that I am now since 10th grade. I haven't grown any inches and I haven't, you know, I've been the same weight my most of my life, except for, you know, the two times in my life that were just insanely traumatic. But she saved me because she comes home one day crying hysterically and this is she's not a crier and she was crying because her teacher accused her of cheating because it wasn't possible for a girl to come up with such good answers and she and she had worked hard and she had done it and it was her work and to be failed and called a cheater because your work was too good the next morning I packed my shit and we walked out the door she saved my life her pain made me realize that if I die how does that help my children and so I realized She's going to be me in 20 years if I don't walk out the door. What was your plan, though? Like, how are you going to get an apartment for four kids and all that? Well, I mean, I had made some money on the side. What, and what did you do? I sold life insurance. Yeah, I worked for MetLife. And I, you know, started a shoe brand. And in nine months, we made my, our first million. And so it was just like, whoosh. how did you go from selling insurance to? to oh, gosh, it's a I mean, you don't have it's a, it's definitely not enough for an hour, and we only have like twenty minutes left. But you were interested in fashion, always. I've been drawing and designing since I'm old enough to have a memory. So you started your own shoe brand when you moved mm -hmm. to New York, and then La Perla happened. That's right. How did that happen? It was a co-branding between Julia Hart Shoes and La Perla. I made shoes for La Perla, and then is can you make handbags? Can you make this? Can you make that? And all of a sudden, I find myself designing everything. I'm like, guys, if I'm designing everything for you. You should give me the title. And so that's what happened. Sylvia was the owner of yes. the La Perla at the time? That's right. So when did you guys become romantic? Uh, well, we only met once before I was hired for 45 minutes. 
So as much as he would like to make that into some oh, he's trying to make it seem fantastic like, yeah. seduction, I'm sorry. I don't think anyone is good enough to seduce another human being in 45 minutes with other people in the room. Because that's the only time I met him. I met the man for 45 minutes before I was hired. But once I was working there, I probably within the next year or so, at first we had a very contentious relationship. We fought about everything. And then I would say probably, I don't know, a year into it, we started dating. And then I became creative director and then blah, blah, blah. The rest is history. Was that frowned upon in the, like, was it weird for people that the founder was in? I mean, it's pretty normal in fashion. Yeah. You know, most most fashion houses, the business and the creative are usually married. Yeah. You know, you know, think of any of those, you know, Dior, Cavalli. I mean, you go through them. It's very often Dolce and Gabbana. It's partners, you know, because you have to have such a strong level of trust. Obviously, I picked the wrong person. So how many years were you there at La Perla? Two years. And then he took you with him to EWG. Well, no, actually, I just I had started working on this shapewear brand that I just launched now. Mm -hmm. But EWG was in trouble. He needed someone to run it who could move it into the future. And so at first I said no a bunch of times. And then finally, literally, finally, I gave in. I was like, okay, but we're going to do it my way. And we're going to change it from the modeling agency into a media conglomerate which is what I did in two and a half years through COVID without a dollar of outside investment. I took a company that was valued at $70 million and Jeffries gave us a $1.1 billion valuation in September of 2021. In two years, from 70 million to a billion. Not too shabby, if I don't say so myself. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Have you ever been at a hotel or somewhere and you're like, oh my God, we forgot to stop at the store and get a bottle of wine or tequila or whatever I have. And you know what I used? I use Drizzly. And I remember the first time I found out about it was my sister, because obviously the younger people always know about the good stuff. Right. So I'm like, oh, my God, we forgot wine. And we were at this hotel and she was like, oh, my God, Drizzly. And I was like, what's Drizzly? And she's like, it's this app that you can order beer, wine and spirits and it comes to your door. I was like, are you kidding? And I was like, you know what? They definitely don't have my favorite wine. Like I I like this specific wine and they probably don't have it. And guess what? Drizzly had it. That's where they got me hooked. I was like, not only are they saving the day, but they have the wine that I want and I don't even need to compromise. So you guys, Drizzly is the go-to app for drink delivery. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com and you Use the code NOTSKINNY to receive $5 off or a $0 delivery fee off your next order. Drizzly is here to be your partner and party, meaning they're here to help you take the grunt work out of the get together so you can be a confident host and actually party at your own party. Drizzly is the most convenient way to buy beer, wine, and spirits with delivery to your door when you want it. Drizzly is the go-to app for drink delivery. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com slash not skinny. That's drizzly, D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com slash not skinny today. Must be 21 plus, not valid in all states. Codes cannot be combined with any other offers. Not valid at all retailers. Code expires on 10 6 p.m. ESA. All this is happening. Some of it we see on the show. The first season of the show, Silvio looks like a great husband. You look like a great couple. You're into each other. But I think you also see the issues. Like you see that he's very jealous of my time. He with the kids. Like, with yeah. anybody. It was, that was my whole problem is I only had to pay attention to him. Anything that took me away from him was bad. My children, work. 
So I was supposed to work because I had to make money for us to live on, but I was also supposed to be super attentive and be with him 24-7. So it was the And we found out in the second season, like he wasn't really interested in being around your kids so much. (laughs) How were you with someone then that wasn't? Well, I asked for a divorce nine months after we got married. It was terrible. And I kept on, yeah, I mean, I tried. I did everything I could to explain to him, like, you married a family. Yeah. You didn't marry a woman. You married a woman with four children. She's a package deal. That's how it works. Did the kids ever come to you and say, like, all the we're not into him? Well, no. I mean, all the t- he was, so, you know, he just wouldn't talk to them. He wouldn't give them a key to the house. We, ha- we had separate dinners. I would eat downstairs dinner with my kids upstairs. Oh, dinner. no. It was, it was bad. It was really bad. So when you asked for a divorce, is it true that that day was the day you got fired? Well, I asked for a divorce in April of 2021 originally. And yeah. then we kept... He kept on saying, well, let's wait till this and let's wait till that and let's wait till this. And then the plan was to have this amicable divorce and to announce it on Valentine's Day to say like, hey, we're not married. We're going to get a divorce, but we still love each other as partners and we respect each other and nothing's going to change because we didn't want it to impact the the going public that was we were working on for EWG. And you believe that that would happen? Well, we got an offer at 500 million. No, like you would believe that the amicable. Oh, 100%. I mean, it was logical that it would. But then the day before I got fired, so the Thursday, I got fired on Monday. The Thursday before I got fired, I found out that he'd been siphoning money out of Freedom Holding. They'd taken a company of his, which, surprise, surprise, is now closed and shut down, SHS, his latest company to fail just failed this year, that he'd been taking out millions to fund this company, SHS, and that he pulled SHS out of our holding company. When I found that, I was like, I'm done. I don't want to be your business partner. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Let's just go our separate ways. Thursday and Friday, he tries to change my mind. When he sees that I'm adamant, I don't want to be his partner anymore. Monday, I'm a thief and I'm a liar and I'm fired and I'm this and I'm that. Literally, within a 24-hour period. Did you see? And you can tell that because otherwise, why would he come on the show episode one? Why would he say all those lovely things episode one? Because until I'm the one yeah, who said I don't. Yeah, it was a very. It, it was, was the next very day. Very weird. That, well, yeah. the reason is, is because the only thing that happened in between is that I had the gall, the chutzpah, the temerity to say, I don't want to be your partner anymore. And when I said that, it was death to Julia. Were you not afraid that that would happen? Do you think he wasn't? Did you I, think he wasn't I capable just thought, of it? I, honestly, I thought he would be intelligent enough to understand that attacking me damages the company and that we're about to go public and make something great out of it. I thought he would be fine to have his good life and I would have my good life and we'd just be rational humans. Men's egos and rational human beings don't necessarily jive together. Didn't he flip the script on you and said that you embezzled money? Yeah, like all the things that he had done, meaning he created the system where we got something called a management fee where we didn't get a salary, but the company paid for all these other things. He created the system. I would send in my paperwork and he would decide where it went and how it was managed and what it was termed as. And, and then all of a sudden he took the very system he set up that he still used, by the way, this past year, as you know, the whistleblower comes out and says, hey, he spent $25.8 million of EWG money in the last 10 months alone on yachts and first class flights and Everything was paid through the company. So she's like, and I spent six months trying to find one thing that Julia took without permission, and I couldn't find a thing. Everything was documented. Everything was sent to 20 people in the company. Everything was open and above board. Everything was approved. 
you lied about her. And that's why she came forward, because she realized that he was trying to destroy an innocent person. So how did he think it was going to stick? Was he going to make he it up? He just thought that I wouldn't last this long. And and that's what the whistleblower told me, that they would constantly sit down and be like, how is she still alive? How is she still managing? How is she still surviving? Because what they thought is, he's cutting me off from all my money, from the company that I built into a billion dollar business, from everything I own, because everything was in Freedom Holding. And he's going to just literally starve me out. He thought that I would die, like that I wouldn't be able to handle the onslaught of lies about me, all of the accusations, in addition to seeing everything that I built and worked for taken away from me and being accused of all this craziness and not having any wherewithal to support myself. So he never thought I'd make it. He should have known me better. That so you're a survivor. I'm not just a survivor. I'm a fighter. Yeah. And especially when I think something is unjust and wrong, I'm not going to stop until I see justice served. And I won't. I don't care how long it takes until the truth comes out and people see who he really is. I'm not going to stop. Are you shocked at yourself that you didn't see this all along, that he was doing this? I'm kind so of angry at myself, but yeah. The one grace that I will give me is that I was really two years old when I met him. I met him in 2015. I left at the end of 20, I left November 2012. So I was literally two and a half years old. I was so naive. I'd never gone on a date. I'd never been to a bar. I hadn't been to a club. I didn't have my first love. I didn't, I mean, I didn't live a 21st century life. I knew nothing about guys. I never talked to them. I didn't go to school with them. I didn't have any interaction with men in my community. So I was really foolishly, ridiculously Did he like sweep naive. you off your feet when you oh, met him? one million percent. Oh, okay. Because oh, otherwise God. I was like, wouldn't you want to live he a little more? He was charming and elegant and brilliant and all the places I'd read about, he'd been to and he seemed so kind. Oh my God, I'm telling you. Wait, what's happening As much as now I know with... in business, yeah. I am... Got a long way to go when it comes to personal relationships, <laughs> apparently. So what's happening now, though, with EWG? It's just waiting for me to come back. But you're not back. Not yet. We're, we're hopefully soon this will be over. And once it's over, it'll settle Oh, you think out. that you see a well, world Well, I mean, I have 49.99% of the company, right? So once that's ratified by a court and the judge has already basically said, you know, I don't, I find, you know, the reasons that he's giving for why I don't have it not very reasonable, so I do think in the next few months, I will get my 49.9 back. And once I do, and, and I'm back to owning half of the company, I'm pretty sure things will. But then you're going to have to somehow work with him now. No, I think, you know, well, we'll see what happens. Let's you, let's take one step. Maybe he'll be phased out. Let's take one step at a time. So when all this was happening on the show, this falling out, I mean, it was probably great for producers of the show because it kind of happened, right? Well, I don't know if it was great for them. It was, you know, everything got totally destroyed, meaning we were just, you know, there was no planning. There was no nothing. You never knew what the next day was going to yeah. bring. So it was, I mean. Your we, house was like a. was the most unscripted reality show of all time because it, everything that was going on was so crazy. All we had to, they, all they had to do was just document the craziness that was my life. And your kids, like Miriam was really supportive. All of them. You had a little thing with Bot at that time. In the very beginning, but she's been. Yeah. She's been a goddess, like an absolute yeah. goddess. I'm. I, I don't, I would not have survived this without my kids, really. They are my everything. They're my everything. How are both of you single together now? Living yes, life, we are. Going we're on double single. dates. We, have, we actually did go on one double date. You did? Accidentally. 
What? Yeah, How? so she was out with a guy and she took him to Zero Bond to the white party. Mm -hmm. And I was out with a guy and I took him to Zero Bond to the white party. And then we all meet each other. And we're like, okay, it's stupid to pretend we don't know who we are. Yeah. So we ended up just having a double date. Wait, tell me about this new shapewear. First of all, you and shapewear. Yes, ma'am. How does that go together? Well, my thing has always been tackling women's issues that nobody's addressing. Like when I was in La Perla, I created stretch levers lace so that lingerie could not only be beautiful, but it could feel beautiful. And you had a thong. It didn't sit like a poker up your... <clears throat> so when I made my shoes, I chained the arch and a two millimeter alteration in the arch so that the pressure points were evenly distributed across the entire foot, alleviating the pain of wearing a high-heeled shoe. When I took over EWG, it was taking them from standing in a line, trying to get picked for a one-way, and building them into their own brands and businesses, utilizing their social media to create them into their own networks and creating longevity in their careers. So everything I've always done, it's always about freeing women from something. Mm -hmm. And this is freeing women from this stigma and embarrassment of wearing shapewear. $8 billion worth of women wear shapewear. $8 billion worth of women don't want anyone to know they're wearing shapewear because it's ugly. And nobody on earth wants to get undressed. Doesn't matter if you're undressing in front of a man or a woman or anything or anyone or whatever sexual orientation you have. Nobody wants to be caught dead in granny panties. They're just ugly. Yeah. And it's basically a sign waving, you waving a sign saying, hey, I don't, like the way I look or, hey, I'm hiding who I am. And I hate that because, you know, a lot of women, for women, shapewear is something that gives them confidence, that makes them feel more comfortable, that gives them freedom to not think about their body and go about their day. And there's no reason they should be embarrassed. And so I had to figure out a way to create the first ever shapewear that was so beautiful that you wouldn't know it was shapewear. And in order to do that, the reason that shapewear is so ugly, beige, white, and black, right? is because shapewear is a compression garment. A compression garment is one of the most highly elasticized fabrics in the world. Now, when you dye something, when you dye something and you stretch it, and you dye something in a, like with the jacket you're wearing, if you dye that jacket and then you try to stretch it, if it had elastin in it, what's gonna happen? You're gonna get those nasty white lines in between. The pattern distorts, the color distorts, it looks terrible. Which is why when someone's wearing something that's a size too small on them, you get those stretch yeah. marks and they look really ugly, right? Well, shapewear is meant to stretch. It comes this big in the box and then right. it's supposed to stretch out on your body. Well, the minute it does that, you're going to get the lines. That's like beige, white, and black. White, you stretch it, it just looks white. Beige, just looks beige, black. But you take a red or a blue or a design or a pattern, forget it. It's horrible looking. So we had to create a different way of putting color into material. So we don't dye our fabric, we heat fuse them. And that heat fusion process, when it colors the clothing, it doesn't budge. It's like Elastigirl. Mm. Stretch, I mean, you've, I don't know if you've seen it, like I've been on television and- It's called Plus Body, right? Plus Body by Julia Hart. And online, it's just Body by Julia Hart because mm -hmm. it was too long to write Plus Body <laughs> by Julia Hart. So it's Body by Julia Hart online, bodybyjuliahart.com. You'll see it. It looks like a bodysuit. You'd never know it was shapewear. And I've had women literally do the test with me where they take one end and I take the other. And stretch it. Nothing moves. It doesn't budge. So for the first time, you could wear it in. You could wear it out. And then once I did that, I realized, okay, well, if I'm going to go and fix all the problems that shapewear has, I should fix all the problems. 
So I looked at all the other problems that they had. For example, shapewear is thick. Again, it's mm-hmm. compression. Mm-hmm. When you add an extra layer of clothing to you, you're widening your body. Right. So women have had to make this choice between being smoother and flatter but wider mm-hmm. or lumpier and narrower. Mm-hmm. So I realized, well, if I can heat fuse color into fabric, can I take all those layers of compression and fuse them into one layer? And we did. So our layer, our shaper is as thin as a piece of paper. It doesn't wow. add an iota to your girth. So for the first time, you don't have to make a choice between wide but, you know, sucked in or narrow but lumpy. You get narrow and smooth. I'm sold. And then the other things that we did is all shapewear in the world is sold by dress size, small, medium, large, Mm. extra large, extra, extra large, whatever. Ours is the only one that is sold by dress size and cup size. Mm. So you could buy a size large double D or a size large A, or a size large F. Mm. Because normal shapewear, it treats the breasts in one of two ways. Because there are no cups, there are no actual bras built in. Ours is a bra built into your shapewear. So because they don't have that, if they have it up here, it creates what they call pancake boobs. You know, where your boobs are flattened and smushed. Or they have that thing where they make a hole and you have to put on a bra. So yeah. now you're wearing a bra and shaper right. and four straps and two straps back here. And right. it's so uncomfortable and so unwieldy. Well, with ours, it's made to your body. So it's a bra built into the shapewear. And we made it with a very deep V so that you could wear it under the most low-cut thing and have full support with even F cups. And nobody would. Amazing. Know. First of all, you're the best saleswoman in the world because I want well, thank it. Thank you. But I mean, it is an incredible product. It really is an exciting thing. Well, it's amazing, though, that you took your story and you're trying to nav- tunnel that to other communities. That's and- what keeps me alive is that I have a purpose in my life. Mm-hmm. My life is to create an army of independent women. I want an army. When I leave this earth, I want to know that I left an army of women behind who never have to ask permission. That's the goal. Thank you, Julia. Thank you so much I for having that, me. I'm, I'm with you. I'm in the army. <laughs> Good. I'm in the, ar- I'm, I'm in the army. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Not Skinny But Not Fat. Follow me on Instagram at Not Skinny But Not Fat. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes. Rate the podcast that you love so much on Apple Podcasts and write a little review. If you tell me you did, I'll give you a big virtual smoocheroo. Thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you next Tuesday. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.